Hello and welcome back, Supreme Court buffs. My name is Aaron Larson, and you are listening to the 10th installment of Landmark Decisions in the United States Supreme Court. The main focus of this podcast will be to highlight the key decisions that made the Supreme Court and the United States what it is today. In today's episode, we will be looking at the background and decision in the 1819 case of Trustees of Dartmouth College v. Woodward. This case, much like Sturgis v. Crowninshield, is centered around the Contracts Clause. Dartmouth College v. Woodward, though, goes further to look at how the Contracts Clause deals with private corporations and corporate law. Coming to the Supreme Court on a writ of error from the New Hampshire Superior Court, Dartmouth College v. Woodward was decided on February 2nd, 1819. Our story begins many years before the American Revolution actually begins. In 1769, King George III of Britain granted a new charter to Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. A charter serves as a written grant by which a company, college, or city is founded. Through this charter, the college, in this case, has its rights and privileges clearly defined, as well as a stipend for the school to function properly. Land was also given directly to Dartmouth College in the colony of New Hampshire. To make a comparison with today, many of the charter schools in the United States are religious institutions that work the same way. The charter gave control of the college to a board of trustees and a president of the university. In 1815, John Wheelock served as the college president, but was removed from his position by the trustees following a religious controversy. In response to this, the New Hampshire legislature passed an act in 1816 amending the charter to establish a board of overseers who had the ability to replace the trustees when needed. The new legislation also gave the governor full autonomy to appoint people to different positions in the school, as well as creating a state board which had veto power over the trustees. This act virtually converted Dartmouth College from a private charter school to a public, state-run institution. Through this, The trustees who removed Wheelock from his position were also removed, replaced, and the new group of trustees gave Wheelock his position of college president back. The old group of trustees sued William Woodward, who served as the secretary of the college and a close ally of John Wheelock. The trustees sought to have the actions and legislation passed by the New Hampshire legislature declared unconstitutional. The trustees planted the case in the state courts and lost as the New Hampshire Superior Court sided with William Woodward and the New Hampshire legislature. The case was appealed on a writ of error to the Supreme Court of the United States. This means that the Supreme Court was demanding the lower court, in this case the New Hampshire Superior Court, to convey their record of Dartmouth College v. Woodward so that it may be reviewed for errors of the law during judicial proceeding. In many cases, these errors are obvious, 
and in others they may be unknown errors that the court missed in their ruling. The Supreme Court decided to take on the case and handed down their decision on February 2nd of 1819. The verdict was a 5 to 1 split, with John Marshall delivering the majority opinion, as well as Justices Washington, Story, and Livingston writing concurrence opinions. Justice Gabriel Duval was the lone dissenter, but there is no great inclination as to why he ruled this way, as the original records do not give an opinion of his. John Marshall's opinion ruled in favor of the college and board of trustees and invalidated the act of the New Hampshire legislature, saying it violated the Contracts Clause in Article 1, Section 10 of the United States Constitution. As we saw in the cases of Fletcher v. Peck and Sturges v. Crowninshield, this states that no state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of marquee and reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts, pass any bill of attained ear, ex post facto law, or law impairing the obligation of contracts. Now what we care about in this clause is when it states no state shall make any law impairing the obligation of contracts. Now you may be asking, isn't the charter from England? How can this be allowed under this clause? Well, since it was signed before the creation of the United States and before the American Revolution, it was still clear to Marshall that in order for the functioning of a republic, there needed to be a sanctity of contracts. This allowed for Dartmouth College to continue as a private institution. Marshall ruled that the corporate charter qualified as a contract between private parties, meaning the king and the trustees of the college, in which the legislature could not interfere. The contract was still valid even though the states were no longer royal colonies. The Constitution states that a state could not pass laws to impair a contract, and this case is no different. Marshall believed that the term contract in this situation was a transaction involving individual property rights, not a political contract between a government and its citizens. One key thing that is peculiar to this case is that Marshall stated that Daniel Webster's testimony while representing the college and the trustees was very moving. It was apparent that it helped convince him of his final decision. The overall significance of this case is not without precedence though. Earlier in the case of Fletcher v. Peck, we saw the court conclude that contracts cannot be invalidated by state legislatures, no matter how they are procured. Popular opinion at the time was that state courts and legislatures had a complete right to overrule or repeal a corporate charter. The overall outcome of this case strengthened the contracts clause and limited power of the states to interfere with private charters. One question was answered in this case, and it was, did the New Hampshire legislature unconstitutionally interfere with Dartmouth College's rights 
under the Contracts Clause, to which the court answered yes. Another first in this case is that the Supreme Court is really using precedence in order to make their decision. Now obviously, precedence has been used by the Supreme Court before, but not in a case as big as Dartmouth College v. Woodward. This episode and others that I have made are less than stellar landmark cases, and many of us are not taught them in high school history or government classes, because they make no impact in our day-to-day lives. Despite this, they are still indeed landmark decisions. In fact, the majority of cases that come out of the Supreme Court in this time period could be considered landmark cases in their own right. This is because the nature of the Supreme Court is something not necessarily seen in other countries at this time, especially since the United States Constitution was the first modern constitution to be ratified. Each decision the Supreme Court makes is intricate and complex, yet also repetitive, and we will continue to see this throughout the years. Because the Constitution said very little about the Supreme Court and what exactly it would be doing, the fact that it continues to find its identity in the early 19th century shows the usefulness of smaller landmark cases such as Dartmouth College v. Woodward. Each case is important in its own right and plays a role in the early development of United States law. Further reading from today's podcast can be found on the Library of Congress website where court decisions are published. Come back next week when we will discuss the 1821 case of Cohen v. Virginia and its role as a landmark case in the Supreme Court. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter under the username of at ALARS175 if you wish to leave me comments and questions on today's episode. I ask that you please follow, rate, and like my podcast so I can continue to improve my skills and gain listeners. I also ask that you think about supporting this podcast through the link in the description. Thank you for listening and see you next week. All of the work and research done for this podcast is the sole property of myself, Aaron Larson, and shall not be downloaded or redistributed without my express written consent. Thank you.